My name is J.W. Oker. I'm an author, and I like to go out and look for weird stuff. I call it oddity. For more than a decade, I've sought out oddities of nature, oddities of art, oddities of culture and history. I believe that within a tank or two of gas, of any point in this country, is some seriously cool oddity, and that we all should go check it out. This is Odd Things I've Seen, the podcast. In this episode, I want to talk to you about my recent visit to Zach Bagan's haunted museum. <laughs> I keep wanting to say haunted mansion, but it's Zach Bagan's haunted museum. And I believe his last name is pronounced Bagan's. I'm not quite sure. It's both ways on the internet. At the museum, they did pronounce it Bagan's. But as a guy who answers to both Ochre and Ocker, I definitely get it. Now, I'm going to do this episode different, a little bit experimental. Normally, the way I do an episode... Uh, at least the episodes that aren't on location episodes, is I have a script. And I mostly stick to the script. There's some ad-libbing done. There's some off-to-the-sides done. But it's always constrained by that script and that storytelling. This time, I just want to ad-lib it, ad-hoc it, do it off the top of my head, off the cuff, whatever (laughs) cliches uh, apply. And I want to do that for two reasons, none of them being that I didn't want to prepare for this episode. The first reason is that this is one I've recently visited. Just a couple weekends ago, I was there. And if I spend the time kind of composing this episode, it's going to take me a lot longer to get to it. And I want to do it while it's fresh in my memory. The other reason is that I am going to actually write about my visit to Zach Bagan's Haunted Museum for a book I'm writing that comes out next year, fall of 2020, called Cursed Objects. It's the entire reason I went to Las Vegas to see his museum, and I just happened to be squeezing a podcast out of it as well. So expect this episode to be a lot more rambling, a lot less coherent, and a lot less kind of organized according to the storytelling. It's just me jawing about the thing I just saw. So Zach Bagan's is the host of the Travel Channel show, Ghost Adventures. That's kind of how he got his fame. That's how he got his cash. It's, uh, in many ways, a typical ghost hunting show. His particular style is to be a bit more aggressive with the properties he goes to and the spirits he interacts with. I've also noticed him and his team seem to really, really, really overreact to pretty small stimuli. It's kind of one of their other calling cards. So it's a wildly popular show. I can't, I don't know how many seasons they've been doing it, probably in the double digits, but he's gotten some mad loot. <laughs> he's become, he has his own paranormal empire, basically. A good proof of this is just last week, or maybe two weeks ago, it was announced that he bought one of the houses where, the, where, where some of the Manson murders happened, and it cost just a shade under $2 million. And he just bought it. So now that I've kind of set up this episode and I've told you about uh, Bagans, I have to tell you about kind of my take on the paranormal. And I hate doing this because people hate me for my take. But basically, I, I don't believe in it. I don't believe in the otherworldly. I used to. I spent three decades very, very religious. So I definitely once upon a time believed in it. But I don't anymore. Which isn't unusual. Obviously, a lot of people don't believe, but I also really love the paranormal. I love the stories that come out of it. I love the people that are into it and that believe more than I like the people who don't usually. And I've been to a lot of places that are spooky. I spent the past you know more than a decade going to creepy places and places where you're supposed to have experiences. And that's what it comes down to is I've never had a single experience. So my belief around the paranormal is not, well, let me put it this way. I believe that all this evidence for the paranormal that people kind of bandy about is mostly not really knowing the normal well enough or misinterpreting the normal 
we're really desiring to have something beyond the normal. It's, it's a hope at the very end of it. So all this paranormal ghost chasing is actually a very hopeful exercise that the world is bigger than it actually is. So that's my take. And that's why I kind of went to this museum thinking it was going to be underwhelming and cheesy. And I was really terrified how I'd be able to write about this thing for this book. Because in addition to not believing, I kind of hate ghost hunting shows. They're contrived. They're obviously false. Everybody kind of uh, defends them as entertainment the way they would any other kind of salacious entertainment. But it's just, it's not, it's not just entertainment. These are entire, you know, people spend entire careers doing this and setting up like talks and conventions. And, you know, they're other people try the things they try on the show. And it's just a very bad format for paranormal investigation, which is a legitimate thing. Even though I don't believe in the paranormal, doesn't mean I don't believe in investigating it. And there are legit ways to do that. But honestly, the legit ways to do that are extremely boring, just like any other ology. You know, labs are boring and archaeology is boring. And honestly, true paranormal investigation will be boring. So all that to say, which might be too much of a preamble, but that's what you're getting in this episode, that I really thought I'd hate Zach Bagans, Zach Bagans Museum. And turns out I was really wrong. I can't say I loved it, but I found it fascinating. And I probably did love it. I just don't want to admit it. I had tickets in advance and it opened. Uh, it's in Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, not downtown, not near the strip, maybe a couple of miles away, but still in Las Vegas proper. I pulled up around two o'clock. It opened, it was a Saturday, opened at one o'clock. So I was there an hour after opening. And there was a line of about 15 people waiting to get in. Now, keep in mind, this is late July in Nevada, just past noon. So it was extremely hot, especially to somebody like me with New England blood. Cannot take that kind of heat. However, that line of 15 was under an awning. There was a little mister set up like they have at all the amusement parks. So it wasn't a bad setup. So I park, I walk in, and one of the black-clad staff walks up to me and says, Hey, are you going to take the tour of the museum? I'm like, yeah, definitely going to do that. He said, great, great. The line starts way over there. It turns out those 15 people I saw in front of the museum uh, were just the next batch that were going in. The line actually wrapped around the side of the building. All in all, it was about an hour wait. But even the line to the side had an awning and misters. And it wasn't that bad a wait, honestly. Even though it was an hour long, when I found out later why it was so long, like the actual length of time and depth of experience you have inside the museum, it made sense and was well worth it. And the staff was really nice. There was three or four guys all dressed in black, uh, talking to people, making sure they were okay, you know, t- showing them where they could buy water, all those, ki- all those kinds of things. So it wasn't an onerous experience, even though it should have been. While you're in line, you get past a clipboard with a waiver on it. And this waiver, you have to sign like 14 different statements or initial them and then sign at the bottom. And it's basically a waiver stating that you're about to walk into a building full of weird stuff, paranormal stuff, and they cannot be held liable for any things that happen to you, your body, your emotions, or your soul. So it was a really interesting waiver. I don't know what lawyers kind of specialize in those kinds of uh, disclaimers, but it was an official waiver that I definitely initialed and signed. Eventually, it was our turn to go in. Uh, There's about 13, 14 people in my group. We got into this little kind of antechamber where you pick up your tickets if you bought them in advance or you buy the tickets. It smells like incense. There's electric candles everywhere, little dolls, uh, Halloween decorations. Very atmospheric, dark, dim. And there's a sign on the wall that says, hold on, I think I've written it down. Let me uh, tell you what the sign says. Here it is. This building is known to contain ghosts slash spirits and cursed objects. By entering, you agree that management will not be liable for any actions by unseen forces. So it's basically that 
waiver we had already signed in line. Here it was uh, on in signed form in our faces. And then later when the tour guide came to pick us up, we all had to raise our hand and repeat it to her. So there's three levels of waiver that we had to go through in order to go into this mansion. So really good kind of setup, really kind of good showmanship there. First thing we did was learn about the mansion itself, which is an old mansion, pretty historic. Uh, No real cool stories around there, although they do slip in that at some point it was abandoned and people would sneak into the basement and do satanic or occultic uh, rituals, which... You have to claim if you're a paranormal museum in a building, you have to claim some level of paranormal about the building itself because it's one of your resources. Why waste that? And then we started touring the mansion. So the way the tour goes, there's about 30 30 rooms in the mansion and you tour about 25 of them. So a lot of the mansion you're touring and you're handed off every couple of rooms to a new tour guide. And there must have been eight tour guides, all women, all dressed in black, that sent us through this museum. So it's a pretty big staff. You had those plus the security outside, uh, a lot of people running this museum. And the way they did it, I was impressed. Like, again, it's about an hour to an hour and a half tour. They send you into a room. They talk you through the highlights of the room. Some of the rooms are crammed with stuff, like more than you could look at in 20, in 20 minutes, or it's one thing that they let you spend time with. And they'll give you the highlights of the story. And then they'll let you stick around and just look at stuff, read placards, experience what's there. Really well done. Like I said, uh, it explained why I had to wait an hour to get in there because they want the quality of the experience to be higher. But what was surprising about this tour was very few of the artifacts were actually paranormal. And I don't say that as a skeptic. I say that as a category of things. There were a few paranormal items, but a lion's share of it was general oddity, taxidermy, circus, artifacts. Uh, medical instruments, that kind of stuff you'd see in oddity stores. And murderabilia. There was a lot of murderabilia in this museum. So the way I'll, I think I'll tell this story is not kind of chronologically, because I don't remember it chronologically. Uh, there's a lot to take in. So I'll try to kind of group things by type. Oddity, murderabilia, paranormal, and tell you about this museum that way. And again, I'm going to tell you about a lot of things, but it doesn't at all kind of give give it away. There's a lot of stuff in this museum. The atmosphere of this museum is impressive. They've spent a lot of work creating a dark, dim, spooky, uh, dramatic atmosphere. So really well done as far as that goes. Let's start with the oddities. So a lot of taxidermy everywhere we went. The first room we went into, in fact, was just packed full of dolls and models. There was a bunch of artifacts around Anton LaVey, uh, the founder of the Satanic Church, which was pretty cool. About 13 human skulls arranged in the case. There was there was a Zoltar machine, you know, the fortune-telling machine from Big. You know, Tom Hanks, as a kid, puts his money in there, makes his wish, and becomes Tom Hanks. One of those in there, but it was car- the face was carved to look like Zach Bacon's. And he did it talked like him. It was recorded his voice, and there was a little kind of a show there going on. And then every once in a while throughout the rooms, uh, they'd turn on a monitor, and he would be on the monitor with his you know chunky glasses and his crisp hat and his kind of deadpan delivery setting up the room for you. So there's a lot of that stuff, um, stuff that, again, not paranormal, not real uh, disturbing, just weirdly cool stuff. The stuff I run into all the time in every single museum usually has this kind of oddity. Um, shrunken heads and war memorabilia. There was one kind of, it was a cursed helmet with still, I think it was, um, might have been Nazi, but I want to call every helmet a Nazi helmet, with still fragments of bone and hair in the lining of the helmet. So a lot of stuff like that. Let's talk about the murderabilia next. That, this was, again, the most intense stuff uh, that I was seeing there. One room held eyeglasses that were Ted Bundy's. He had Charlie Manson's ashes and bone fragments. And if you 
check the chain of provenance online. Some of his ashes were scattered. I can't remember the guy's name who most of it went to, but this is the guy that Bagans got it from. So he has like a little crystal, not crystal, a little translucent square full of bones and ash fragments from one of the most infamous, you know, boogeyman in human history. He had in one room the bed of Robert Berdella, the Kansas City butcher. This is an intensely disturbing story. If you don't want to hear it, I would skip ahead. But this is a guy who would take victims and tie them up and torture them in every way possible, shove things into every orifice. He would bleach their eyeballs. He would take a Q-tip with bleach and rub it across their eyeballs to blind them. And Bagans had a bed of one of the victims. It was still stained. It was really disturbing. It was set up in a room with pictures on the wall of the actual victims that were pictures that were taken by Berdella himself. It was highly intensely disturbing. This being such close proximity and with 14 other people and in what was ostensibly a ghost museum was really intense. He also had Ed Gaines' cauldron. So this is what this is probably the one artifact I would wanted to see the most because I remember it coming up for auction. I remember him buying it. Uh, so Ed Gain was a death fetishist and murderer in Wisconsin. He was just a redneck with mother issues and a grave robber. And he killed one, I think possibly two people as well. It escalated to, to murder, but he was quickly caught after that. And apparently one of the cauldrons he used to boil bones, or maybe he just had the cauldron, got kind of in circulation around town. People picked it up, bought it. Eventually it was identified as Ed Gaines' cauldron and Bagans bought it. He has it on display in a room built to look like an old barn. Like it was, you know, Gaines Barn out in Wisconsin. And I also might be pronouncing that name wrong. It's Gein or Gain. I think it is Gein, actually. Again, Ochre, Ocker. So it was pretty intense. Again, another kind of piece of murderabilia that you're right up close with. You're kind of right in a set that makes it look like you're at the guy's barn. In fact, the set was built by one of the set designers of American Horror Story. So that kind of stuff was all throughout this museum. There's also... Uh, some celebrity artifacts that were all connected to celebrities with macabre, morbid ends. So he had a chair from the bedroom, from Michael Jackson's bedroom where he died. He had a original Polaroid of Chris Farley's uh, body where they found him uh, from his drug overdose. He had Sharon Tate's wedding dress. He also had in the section an entire little room dedicated to Jerry Lewis, right? It was a Vegas legend and a movie legend and a comedy legend. But the collection was geared toward... Lewis's movie, The Day the Clown Cried. This was a movie that Jerry Lewis made and then hid away forever. He either didn't like the movie or the concept was too disturbing for him and he realized he shouldn't have made it. The concept of the movie was he played a clown at a concentration camp during Nazi Germany. So immediately a oh my God kind of concept that he filmed. He went scripted, filmed, he starred in. It's a finished movie. And he said, no, nobody should ever see this ever on this planet. And he hid it away. And nobody has ever seen it. I believe, though, there is a copy in the Library of Congress that's under lock and key. And I think they will show it in 2024. Some kind of statute of limitations falls away in 2024 or something like that. But he had, uh, Bagans had actual props and costumes from that movie. All right, so let's jump to paranormal stuff. He had a, a bunch of, like I said, the paranormal stuff wasn't as intense as anything else he had, but he had a few kind of strong ones. He had a rocking chair from one of the Warrens cases, actually, the demon murder case, the devil in Connecticut or whatever they're calling it. With the Warrens, you either call it by a case name or you call it by the movie name that the case was <laughs> inspired. So 
that case, I believe, is the one where somebody got stabbed. They believe they were possessed. So the lawyer actually came to the court with a defense of the devil made them do it. It was quickly thrown out, but it was the first time that ever happened in an American court. So kind of interesting for that reason. And he had a, a rocking chair from that. He had the Dybbuk box. So the Dybbuk box is probably the number one attraction in his museum. I don't know why. Uh, it's not that interesting, honestly. It's a wine case, an old wine case, uh, about the size of a desktop computer screen. And inside of it is supposed to be trapped a Jewish spirit called, an evil Jewish spirit or a Jewish evil spirit called a Dybbuk. Now, it's on their tickets. They call it the most haunted artifact on the planet. It gets reported on regularly. And really, it's internet famous. Uh, years ago, it was put on eBay with a story. Somebody bought it. That person put it back on eBay with their own story. Somebody bought it. And then Baggins bought it off them for like 10K or something like that. So for a while, there was a white hot legend, but not a lot of years behind it. And mostly because the internet makes big deals of everything. But he displayed this thing by itself. It was in a dark room. There was a spotlight on it. And uh, the tour guide made sure to point out that the door was just ajar and that had done it by itself. And then around it was a ring of salt and dried sage to, you know, whatever, keep the Dybbuk from getting out, I guess. And that, she pointed out, was also kind of disturbed. So the Dybbuk was actively trying to get out of the box and out of the glass case and out of the museum to wreak havoc. We also went and saw Peggy. So Peggy is a haunted doll, no paranormal collector worth his or her salt doesn't have at least one, probably 20,000 haunted or cursed dolls in their collection. And Peggy is one of the dolls from Bagan's collection. He has hundreds of dolls. So before I tell you about this one, something that happened regularly throughout the tour is the tour guide would tell us, hey, you don't have to go in this room. If you want to just stay out here, we're going to, only going to be here five, 10 minutes. Just stay out here if it's not something you're into or if you don't want to do this. And then, you know, we'll continue on the tour with you. So they're regularly... You know, it, it feels like a bit of showmanship, and it was, but also, obviously, if you don't want to see a, a murder bed or you don't want to see serial killer artifacts, you don't have to. So they did this in front of Peggy's room, and then they put all 14 of us inside the room, shut the door, and the way they displayed Peggy, she was, you know, whatever, a, a blonde-haired doll. She was in a box um, raised up to about eye, eye height. On the floor were probably 100 dolls around her, some of them moving, and then they had a strobe light going going really fast. And they had a spirit box on. So a spirit box is basically a radio that has been altered so that it scans the dial really fast. So you catch a half second to a second of sound from each place it stops. And the idea being you ask it a question and then the spirits can use those half second seconds to put together coherent sentences. Like most of the technology in paranormal investigations, there's zero validation of that, but you do get some sentences every once in a while, just just the nature of chance or, you know, with the human ability to make patterns out of nothing, out of chaos, you will make a pattern out of those sounds. And they had the spirit box turned up really loud. And they encouraged you to kind of ask questions of Peggy. And they had it turned up really loud, flashing lights, moving dolls, this doll just staring at you. It was an intense experience. And I don't mean intense like I thought, you know, ghosts are about to fly into my chest. It was just disconcerting and discombobulating and overwhelming. And the second we all left, in fact, we all left on our own. It wasn't even like the tour guide came to get us. Just somebody left and all of us kind of used that as a break to leave. A woman by me started getting the shakes and headaches and sweats. She just kind of broke down a little bit. And she was with somebody with a boyfriend or husband or a rando dude. And he was like, yeah, I told you, you probably shouldn't have gone into that, into there. You're pretty susceptible. But she was just like shaking. She's like, I don't know what's happening to me. I don't feel good. 
Um, so the tour guide had to stop the tour and kind of, she's like, hey, do you want to continue? Do you want to, we can definitely, there's an exit over here. I can take you out of there. And the woman just backed out. She's like, yeah, get me out of here. So she, <laughs> so she took her right out. And throughout the tour, they would tell us stories of people breaking down and stuff. And I got to see one right in front of my face. Somebody just couldn't take the intensity of these, um, some of these exhibits. And I think it was legit. I don't think she was faking it. And I, but I do, I do think she was worked herself up into this kind of like over emotional overwhelmment that she had to get out of there. I totally get that. At one point, it turned into a funhouse, like a legit funhouse. There were all these clowns set up and uh, little people jumping out of holes and scaring you as you went by, dressed up as clowns. It it was just suddenly you know, again strobe lights and noise, and it was probably one of the better. It was only lasted about thirty seconds, but it probably was one of the better funhouses I've been into as far as just being completely overwhelmed. Part of that being wasn't ready for it and whatever I'd just seen stuff from serial killers. So that was a surprise in the middle of it. Some of these serial killer artifacts are legit historical artifacts, but then he had one thing in there that I had forgotten he had in there that is probably Smithsonian worthy, or at least one day it will be Smithsonian worthy. And that is he has the van of Jack Kevorkian, Dr. Death, the guy, the suicide proponent who created intricate machines that allowed people to end their lives. And he would set these machines up in his van, gave them names like Thanatos. Wait, that's the Avengers guy. Thanatron. (laughs) Gave it names like Thanatron and kind of strange names like that. And people could in their lives. Hundreds of people probably died in this van. Uh, We have a record of so many, but not all the ones who did it were on the record. And Zach Bagans has it. And it's set up in a room. And you go first. You go into this one room that kind of introduces you to, to Jack Kevorkian. His arts on the like facsimile of his art is on the wall, which is interesting to me because I've actually seen his real artwork uh, when I was doing the New England Compendium. I got to see it at the uh, Armenian Museum uh, in Massachusetts. But it was there. And then you just open this door, and this van fills this room. And it's open. You can look inside. There's a couple of the machines in there that uh, Kevorkian used. And again, a legit artifact that. Right now, it's probably still controversial years and years later, but at some point, I think, with attitudes toward death and control of one's end time changing, that's going to be, will be an important hash mark in that whole kind of uh, evolution. So I don't think, I think that's all I want to tell you about. There's, there was a couple of really intense things in there that I don't quite understand that I need to do research on the story. Oh, at one point, they, they had a couple of odd fellow skeletons in a room. So you go into this room and it's set up like a chapel and you sit down. And there are two human skeletons up front uh, where the altar would be in a real church. And they're odd fellow skeletons, odd fellows being that fraternal society that had some really weird initiations like making you stare into the eyes of a skull <laughs> and contemplate your life and death. And you see their name on names on old buildings all over the country. But these are a couple of skeletons found in odd fellows buildings uh, that we had to sit and stare into the sockets of. And the tour guide told us this is where... Vanilla Ice started believing in ghosts. <laughs> so because Bagans has famous and semi-famous and pseudo-famous people over all the time. So that's it. There's a lot more in there. A lot of artifacts and stories that I'd actually, I didn't know, um, but sounded really intense. And I need to do some, I would need to do some more research before I could even tell people about those stories. So all in all, I would say well worth going if you're a fan of the paranormal. If you're a fan of the macabre, definitely well worth going. It is expensive. It's 45 bucks a ticket. So balance that out. Obviously, I get to write that off because I was writing a book. And that's it. That is Zach Bag- my impressions of Zach Bagan's haunted museum. Not mansion. Haunted museum. Again, kind of positive. Definitely creepy. Definitely, I have a lot of questions of, you know, like I always do anytime I see something death-related, how far this should be pushed and how far it shouldn't be pushed. But again, those questions are good questions to ask. And I really didn't expect myself to ask him walking out of a museum owned by a guy who 
runs around buildings and yells at empty air. So that's it. Again, experimental. I just kind of rushed it right at you. That's what it's like to talk to me at a bar after I've been to an oddity. I just kind of spew things out and trip over my words and I'm mostly incoherent. Next episode, I promise, will be more put together. I will compose a story. I will write it out. I will have a script. It won't be just me rambling. But until then, if you guys could do me a favor and throw some stars at me on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever that is is or is coming to be, that would help me out so much. I know some of you have done it already, and I appreciate that. It helps out a lot, not just algorithm-wise, but it helps me know that people are listening and like it. Also, I don't bring this up much, but I also have a Patreon, and that supports most of the stuff I do oddity-wise. It doesn't support the books. Those kind of are paid for by the publishers. But... Any articles I write for Otis, these podcasts are really supported by the Otis Club. So it's uh, patreon.com slash jwoker. You get a lot of stuff for joining. I do a newsletter every week that has this kind of stuff in it. Access to my Otis map. There are different tiers. You can, you can join the Patreon for as little as $1 a month. And you'll still get, you know, one newsletter a month plus some other stuff. For just $1 a month, if this is all adding to your entertainment or interest or wonder at life, which is kind of the end goal, is all of us realizing how absolutely weird this world is and put that in perspective with all the other like terrible things in the world so (laughs) that's it thank you for listening this has been odd things i've seen the podcast